Hi, everyone. Welcome back to Dear Younger Me, which is a podcast dedicated to giving advice to my younger self. So today I will be interviewing a new friend of mine named Uche Adegbai. Feel free to correct me if I said that wrong. who is a black woman living and working in the United States. So amidst everything that is going on, protests against the George Floyd killing and defunding the police, it's really easy to villainize the other side and and generalize that all cops are bad and that all Black Lives Matter protesters are looters and criminals, when really neither of those extremes are true. And I believe the solution to police brutality And racism or any other issue in the U.S. is to slow down, understand where the other side is coming from, and then work towards a middle ground. So the purpose of this episode is not to persuade you one way or another to defund the police, but it's to break down the experiences of one Black individual growing up and living in the United States um, and other parts of the world so that you can think for yourself, what about this individual's experiences were different than yours and why that is? And with that said, I will let Uche introduce herself with maybe where she grew up, her heritage, what she does now, and anything else that she would like to add. And then we can go ahead and start with the questions. Wow. Thank you, Jamie. Um, First, awesome. Did not know the concept of the podcast was talking to your younger self. (laughs) Brilliant. Love that. Um, So, uh, yeah, this is going to be good. So, yeah, my name is Uche. Last name a David here. Oh, it's it's uh, it trips up everyone. Uh, don't 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 feel bad. It trips up everyone because it's uh, it's from the Yoruba language in Nigeria, and the G B is is a silent. Oh, the, you know, it's it's an actual letter, so letter. You, you you wouldn't have got it unless you actually know about about the heritage. Yeah. But um, but anyway, yes, um, I was born in America in uh, Wilmington, Delaware, good old Wilmington, Delaware, and. Uh, I uh, grew up in England. I went to boarding school, so I split my time between England and Nigeria, where my parents have their primary residence. Uh, I did all of my high school there, and then I came back to the States at 18 uh, to study engineering at MIT. And from there, I uh, was scooped up by Microsoft. Um, I'm, a, I'm a Microsofty for life, it seems. <laughs> uh, college higher, and I've traveled the world with this company. Uh, from Seattle to San Francisco, New York to India and back. And I'm currently in Virginia uh, working on good things. And um, yeah, I'm I'm happy to be here. I mean, it's a very interesting time. 2020 has been nothing short of unreal. Uh (laughs) So uh, yeah, I'm looking forward to this discussion. Yeah, that's awesome. Thank you so much for giving us that intro. It sounds like you've been all over the place. I'm jealous. You know, world traveler is is really, you know, applicable to me. I will say I would love it to or to be more like business class world traveler, uh-huh. but you know, that's not how I started. Uh-huh. <laughs> Economy and I are very good friends. Uh-huh. Um, but yeah, literally I've I've lived on planes since I was seven years old. You know, most people remember that the first time that they drove the car for the, you know, at, at, when they turned 16. Well, I remember the first time I got on a plane. I was seven years old, wow. unaccompanied minor. That has been my mode of transportation. I've, I think I've been in planes way more than I've been in any other form of, of uh, transportation, actually, to be fair. So, yeah. yeah. That's cool. Yeah, it's been good. Maybe Microsoft will uh, fund more first class, you know. Microsoft, <laughs> if you're listening, please fund Fund the aircraft. <laughs> fund the aircraft fund. Uh, yeah, happy to send a link. Yeah. 
That's funny. Um, all right. So I guess we can go ahead and get started. So my first question for you is how does being black impact your everyday life? Mm. Straight to it. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Um, so yeah, we're, we're not playing games here, Jamie. <laughs> we're getting in there. Um, so it's, it's, it's really, it's been an amazing, uh, realization for myself. I mean, the world is, understanding and getting comfortable with the world, with the word black. Um, for me, having grown up in majority white countries my whole life, um, it's been a constant uh, realization of how the entire world has a different definition of black. Mm. Um, unfortunately, I would have loved to have told you that you know, there are some parts of the world I've been in where black is like the bomb and like I'm at the top of the, of, of the chain yeah. and, and it is the best thing to be black. Yeah. But um, unfortunately not, not. <laughs> the majority of my experience being black is different shades of negativity, some more severe than others. But uh, from, from my perspective, on the global scale, we have uh, an unfortunate uh, conditioning that has educated uh, just you know billions of people into thinking that black is whack. Uh, that's the phrase I, I, I say, you know, and light is right, um, and and that's unfortunate because you know I did biology like a lot of us, and uh, the color of my skin is 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 due to melanin, which all of us have, and. Um, you know, it's an, an, an environmental response. Mm. There is nothing you can do, just like you can't change the color of your eyes. And the, the same gene which controls melanin for the skin controls the melanin in your eyes, like your eye color. Yeah. So it's just unfortunate that, uh, you know, that, that we've, we've gone through so many rounds of colonization and racism that something that I cannot change um, is something that can, is a continuous battle. I, I almost have to succeed despite of my color, right? Mm-hmm. Why, why, why it shows up in the first place um, continues to astound me, right? Because my logical mind, I, I'm a problem solver by nature, just continues to be like, but really though, with all the education yeah. and Google and, and Bing and, you know, all the information, but really, but yeah, it's hundreds and centuries of conditioning. So yeah. You know, I wake up and I have to, you know, thank God I grew up outside of America because I will have to say America's probably got, you know, maybe America and South Africa, they probably got the most intense negativity associated to uh, the color black and people of color in general. Right. Um, so I've, I found myself over the last 20 years of being here trying to maintain my confidence trying to maintain the good job that my mother, God bless her soul, had, had to do. You know, she, she, she devoted her life to ensuring her kids were educated and that we never bought into the idea that we were less than. In fact, you weren't allowed to be anything but the best mm-hmm. in our household, yeah. right? So she didn't, she didn't fuel, uh, you know, the conversations around, you know, what you won't be able to do um, and what the world won't allow you to do. Uh, She took the approach of what you're going to do and how you're going to be the best at it and that you're going to leverage that to overcome 
anything else the world is going to tell you you can't do. Um, And so that was my head start. That was the grace afforded me in my life that I spent a lot of my time, uh, you know, outside America, in England, but also in Nigeria, where I got to have role models who are black and beautiful and successful, more successful than some of the white people I see here. Mm You know, so so that confidence has been critical to keep my resolve and keep me keep me bringing my A game, keep me trying to do my best and, you know, afford kindness and positivity to others, regardless of their ignorance. Right. right? Regardless of the conditioning that they have had, um, which has been false. And, you know, black does not define a woman or a man, your actions, the way you think, your experiences um, do. But for a black person, unfortunately, a lot of your experiences will be uh, will be looked through the lens of your skin color because you don't have that choice. Mm. It's something that's put on you. I don't want to be thinking I'm black every day. I mean, do you think, do you wake up and go, wow, today my skin color is white. (laughs) I wonder what this will afford me today. You know, you don't have to think like that. Right. I, on the other hand, have to think like, oh, wow. okay, is my hair too black today? Mm -hmm. Like, you know, can they handle this afro Mm -hmm. or do I have to tame this thing so that I can be presentable in the workplace? Or, wow, can I really, you know, take that tone? I don't want to be the angry black woman. Mm -hmm. There are too many stereotypes in America already. Mm -hmm. I don't want to feel that anymore. Like, Mm -hmm. you know, it's it's unnecessary waste of energy. There are problems to be solved like legit problems. But the reality is I have to spend that energy because I have to, you know, succeed in the face of, of bias. It's just what it is. And so I guess I have two questions for you. Um, one is like, you know, hearing that from a young age, from your mother, like, this is who you're going to be. Like, how did that, I guess, kind of impact you, right? Like, were you aware that there was bias when you were growing up as a little kid? Were you shocked when you, when you heard that from your mom? And then I guess my second question would be like, where do you think kind of all of this, this bias comes from, right? Like where, where, at what point do people start learning? Okay. White is, or light is better and black is whack. Dude, this is a, this is, you're learning this from osmosis. You're learning this as, as a kid, as, you know, two, three years old. Colorism is real, right? And it, and we make no mistake, racism is one thing. Colorism is another. And a lot of the world was colonized, mm. right, by the Western world, the Europeans. So this notion of light is right and black is whack started centuries even before uh, the American slave trade really got into full action, Mm -hmm. right? So even in Nigeria as a child, when I was growing up, when I was a baby, I was very light-skinned. My grandmother, my dad's mom, was very light. And my mom was elated. She was super happy. And I thought to myself, well, this is ridiculous. Like, why does this matter? Mm -hmm. It's not something, you know what I mean? Like, it's not something you can change. But that's because of the conditioning that colonization also posed which was the lighter skinned people, the white man, the British, the Britisher, um, is better. And, and the black man is the savage. And so mm-hmm. the enlightened one is bright. And, and Jesus, look at Jesus. Mm-hmm. Jesus is blue-eyed and blonde. Mm-hmm. And, and a lot of African uh, countries were, were under colonization were also indoctrinated into the Christian faith. Mm-hmm. So even our God was white. Mm-hmm. 
Think about that, mm-hmm. right? Like colorism has been that in, in religion, the African people, um, you know, we're, we're a spiritual nation and we, we took to religion like, you know, we took to it like, you know, dog to, leading a horse to water. And so when Jesus is blue eyed and blonde, you can imagine, mm-hmm. right? So even black people also started to believe that light is right and black is whack. So the lighter skinned ones of us, you know, were admired more than the darker skinned ones of us. So I've always known this, that colorism is a big deal, right? Mm -hmm. Like as a child. The difference though is that racism, I really understood that my life could be threatened when I moved to America, Mm -hmm. right? Like not only is it that light is right, you know, and, and everyone aspires to be light skinned. Um, but in America, it could become a weapon, mm-hmm. you, you know, ag- against you, like white people can, you know, viewed, viewed my skin color and said, without ever knowing me, you're a threat and you, you need to be, you need to be handled. Mm-hmm. You need to be tolerated. You need to be controlled. Like, I mean, that's, that's a very different level. Yeah. Colorism, I, I've grown up with, you know, commentary and like and, and prejudice and and bias and microaggressions. But I was never afraid for my life when I was in Nigeria or England or other countries. Italy, I've experienced prejudice and bias. Zurich, I've been detained because I'm, you know, I'm black. So I've experienced all flavors of bias. Mm-hmm. But, you know, America it's a fear now it what i'm fighting living here is the you know making sure that i don't succumb to the fear the notion that i am a second class citizen here even though i was born here like everyone else and have the passport just like everyone else legitimately the system it was not designed to support me mm-hmm. and so you know that is a different way of living that's no human in this day and age in, in a country like America who's a citizen of that country should be afraid of their life from the very system that was supposedly there to protect them. Right. There's something super fundamentally broken about that. Mm. Um, and, and fear is a very expensive emotion and it, it is the source of so many, so many evils and so many uh, dysfunctions. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah. So did you ever... I guess you, so you said you're scared. What, what exactly are you scared of? And kind of, have you been in contact with, with that said fear and, and how has that kind of impacted you? I mean, again, this is, was also, um, sort of a, a journey of living in America, but you know, when you're, you're black, you're eventually, there's so many subliminal messages, you're going to have conversations with other black people. And so, pretty early on, you know, when I got back, I came back here at 18. I mean, it was, there's sort of like a, like an unspoken training. There's an unspoken education in the black community around how you deal with police, how you deal with law enforcement, like basically stay out of trouble mm-hmm. because it, it, they are not for you. Mm-hmm. And, and, you know, I, I got told things like, listen, when you encounter police, like, you know, do not make any sudden movements, keep your hands still, look down, be very polite. Your goal is to get out of there alive. Mm. Um, I, I was hearing this at 18. You know, uh, yes, right now, 
it's at the forefront. But I am genuinely surprised that a lot of my friends had no idea this was going on because this is not new. I've been here 20 years. So this is my point. This is training I received very early on, as you would if you were a soldier going into war. Like, listen, here is the survival manual. Make sure you study it um, so that you have a good chance of coming out of this thing alive. That's that's how it felt. And at first I was like incredulous. I was like, come on, guys, like you guys are reading into this. Like, it can't be that bad. Yeah. Like, come on, guys, this is this is the 20th century. It can't be that bad. Right. I, I came with that same notion. And then over the first 10 years of being here and seeing all the shootings on the news, I was like, oh, and, and people not getting charged, mm. people not even getting arrested. I was like, oh, snap. OK, well, um, maybe they're not exaggerating. And and just over and over and over again, seeing the same stories play out in the black community, I was like. Uche, you're not exempt. Don't make any mistake. You are black. Mm. For all intents and purposes, if the police stop you, they will not see that you have a British accent. They will not know that you went to MIT or you worked for Microsoft. What they will see is that you are black. Mm. You are no different from any other African-American. Do not think you are exempt. And then five years ago, I was stopped by that very same police force. Yeah. And it was real. And I was in Minnesota and I was on the highway and it was 6.30, 7pm at night and I was deadly afraid. Yeah. I, I realized that, wow, if it, it's a luck of the draw. If this police officer coming towards me is a bad actor, I'm finished. Yeah. There's nothing I can do about it. Nothing's going to save me at this moment apart from God. Okay. Literally, under my breath... I am begging God, please help me to get through this and get to the airport and get on that plane so I can just go home. Mm. Right. Yeah. Like, you, you, you know, I, I talk to a lot of my white friends and they're just aghast. They're just like, wow, like yeah. you would think that the police was the devil. Okay. Right. Like and I was like, well, you try growing up in part of the community where there's enough data points that they are not for you. I'm not this is not in my head. Yeah. You know, like a lot of my friends are like, oh, my God, it's terrible what happened to George Floyd. And I'm like, wait a minute. Do you think this is the first time? Do you think that black people are, th are th so dramatically exhausted from one killing? Mm -hmm. Like, are you serious? And to my surprise, they really, even though we watch the same news, we got the same Internet. A lot of them had no idea. Mm -hmm. I was like, so, but. Wait a minute, Eric Garner, you, 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 did you not hear about the I can't breathe? Wait, wait, Trayvon Martin, were you not there when everyone was like, I cannot believe this guy did not get like a, a guilty plea? Yeah. And, and you see it in their face, like, uh, you know, you're like, which reality? Like, we are living two separate realities in the same country. Mm. And I, everyone lives there in reality, don't get me wrong. But like, these things made national headlines. Mm -hmm. it, it, it wasn't a case of like... It was only on on black people's like television sets in mm. in black communities in Alabama and wherever. Only you know racism in quotes exists in America. Yeah. No, this was national coverage, and yet today in 2020, a lot of my friends were like, "Wow, I did not realize." And I was like, "Yeah, guys, we are living very different American dreams. Yeah, very different." 
Why do you think that is, though, that, you know, some of your friends just aren't aware? Like what what about maybe because they don't have to be Mm -hmm. they don't have to be that that's what we're saying about privilege. You can afford to be unconscious because the system is for you. When you're white, you you look at the police and you're like, hey, Bob, how's it going? Mm -hmm. You know, and you guys are having friendly conversations. You know, you're asking about their family. A black person is never afforded that unless that police officer happens to be black or, you know, a person of color or part of that person's community mm-hmm. that lives in, they live in that neighborhood. But I don't ever wake up and think, oh, that police car down by my building. Let me just go say hi to Jill, mm-hmm. the police officer. <laughs> like, like, I'm like, no, 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 no. <laughs> I, I'm on the right side. They are on the left side and we will agree to stay apart. And, and, and have no issues. Yeah. But nowhere in my mind do I ever think the police is my friend, right. right? And so in the white experience, you know, look at the stats, man. One in 17 white males, you know, go to jail, you know, for, for the same charges. Uh, it's one in three yeah. black males. Like, <laughs> I mean, look at the numbers. I, I didn't come up with these numbers. Right. And, and so when the... The white community is is getting the American dream and the police are doing what they are supposed to be doing, which is protecting them. You're afforded the luxury not to have to think about it. Mm. It's not affecting you. Why? Why do you care? Your life is great. Mm. That's that's that is my interpretation. Right. You can afford not to be conscious. I cannot afford to be unconscious because that could lead to my death. Mm. If I go up to a police and I think, oh, we're chummy chum. And he happens to think I am being too friendly or a threat. That could be my last conversation on this earth. Mm. I'm not afforded that luxury because of the color of my skin. I mean, he has no idea. I could have been the best conversation he ever had. But do I do I take that chance, Jamie? No, I'm not going to take that chance. There's too much data that tells me that people in America view black people as threats. As as young as 12 years old. What is a 12? A 12 year old is a threat. How? They're killing 12-year-olds, 14-year-olds. These are children, mm-hmm. not even grown men. Children are dying. Mm-hmm. Police officers, grown police officers will kill a 12-year-old. Tamir Rice, 12-year-old, playing with a toy gun. Mm-hmm. So, so you tell me if a 12-year-old is a threat, me as a grown woman, I'm not going to take that chance. Yeah, yeah. And so earlier when you were talking about this American dream and kind of how you have a different version of it versus your, maybe your white friends, like what, what is that American dream and why is it something that people want in the first place? Like what about it is so entailing that, that maybe people kind of stay in their comfort zone? I mean, the thing that I I'd, I'd admire and you see a lot of people trying to come to this country is there's this notion that you can come here and, you know, with the resources, you can, you can be whatever you want to be. Mm. There is this idea that regardless of your background, you can be somebody. Mm-hmm. You, you can, with your efforts, sweat and tears, you can make it whatever you want to be. You can realize your dreams. That's the, that's the, that's the marketing. America is fantastically marketed to the entire globe that that is what America stands for, that this is the land of the free and you have equal opportunity to make it what you will. And it's a beautiful dream. And of course, every human across the world 
why wouldn't you want that? Mm-hmm. You came to this earth. It's a, it's a very small chance to be able to become a human in the first place. Mm-hmm. All you're trying to be is seen and do you, mm-hmm. right? And so if a country's slogan is, we welcome that, come here and you can do you and you can be whatever you want to be and we'll support you 100%, heck yeah, you want to be here. Yeah. The most painful realization is when you get here and you realize, oops, sorry, my bad, uh, the fine print. You forgot to read the fine print. What we, what we had meant to say is, if you are white, mm-hmm. <laughs> this applies to you. And that is the most painful thing because the fine print is so small that it's barely legible. And so the whole country pretends that the dream is afforded to everyone, yeah. which it isn't. And that is so painful yeah. to live here and realize side by side, you can be in the same office and know that your colleague over here, because he is white or she is white, they have full access to that, that whole slogan. And because you are black of no fault of your own, mind you, mm-hmm. you did not choose your skin color. You have to live here knowing full well that if you get a bit of that dream, you're super lucky and one of the very few. I'm super lucky. I work at Microsoft. I'm afforded some privileges because of my economic status in this country. Mm-hmm. But it's very painful to know that I have to work twice as hard or maybe three times as hard to maintain that because I'm going against the current. I'm not meant to succeed here. Yeah. So how does that play out like how um you said that you're not I guess afforded right the same opportunities but what does that look like practically like what does it look like in the workplace what does it look like when you know you're I don't know when you're out and about in your community like how does that impact you um does that make sense kind of like on a practical yeah yeah practically speaking at the workplace I've had from day one, for instance, let's take my current job, my current employer. From day one, there is this notion that I should accept less than, right? Whether it's less paycheck or less bonuses. I'll give you a concrete example. One of my managers, great guy. I actually really like him. I'd, I'd put him, which you'll find very funny in a minute, I'd put him as one of the good managers. Yeah. And uh, one review cycle, he, he says to me, oh, my God, you know, I'm so glad. I really appreciate all the work you've done this year. You've really done amazing. And I hope and I know that I that the review that you're going to get is going to reflect that work. Yeah. Right. And so I'm, I'm pumped because I'm like, he's pumped. Woo-hoo, this is going to be a great year. I'm going to yeah. be buying all sorts of goodies. <laughs> and I get to my review discussion. And, you know, let's say we have it's a scale system. Right. So 120 is rock star status. Right. Yeah. 100 is like normal. Yeah, let's say like 80, 90 is like, you know, average and stuff. So. You know, and bear in mind what I told you. My mom is like, you need you need to be A plus plus. So in my family, the bar is super high, yeah. right? So what I think is Stella is whatever the highest anyone can get. That is what Stella means to me, right? Anything short of that is not Stella, mm-hmm. which makes sense, right? If 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 the highest is one twenty, then if if I get one twenty, yes, I deserve the Stella title. So this manager comes in. And gives me a review reward with a hundred, I think it was like a hundred. Uh-huh. 
but the scale is the top is 120, right? right? But he sold this so well, like you, this was Stella. So I sat there and I thought to myself, WTF, man, like what in the world? And I, out of pure anger, because again, this is the work, but I went to MIT. So I'd been facing this, uh, this notion of like, oh, you're, you're, you know, less than I'd been facing it now for at least five years in this country. Right. So, you know, out of frustration, I look at him because I genuinely saw that he thought he had done well. Mm. This was not a case of like he was evil and trying to like bait me. I, he generally thought he had done well, a hundred percent. So I look at him and I say, because I worked my ass off too. Mm-hmm. So this isn't a case of, I'm like, you didn't give me, you know, give me what I deserve. Right. right. And so I ask him and I say, he could see like almost I'm tearing up and he's like confused, mm-hmm. like Uche, what's wrong? And I go to him. It's a very simple question. I said, I'm not going to mention any names here out of respect. I said, let's just call him Bob. Mm-hmm. Bob, would you take this package, this reward? Would you take this and say that, yes, this was the most excellent Stella thing? If you know there was 120, would you take this? Mm-hmm. Pin drop silence. Oh, my gosh. Pin, can I swear on this? channel i don't think so right pin (laughs) effing drop silence yeah pin effing drop silence and at this point i'm crying and you can see his whole face change because till that moment he had no idea that he had a bias that said oh yeah uche uche is happy with a hundred yeah that's the for a black person that's amazing Mm, right like why else because What, what was the difference, mm-hmm. Bob? What was the difference? You wouldn't take it. You would go for the 120. Mm-hmm. You know I did 120 work, but your unconscious bias somehow convinced you that, oh, she'll still be super happy with this. Mm-hmm. And the sad reality, Jamie, is a lot of black people most likely wouldn't say anything in general because we just want to keep our job and we just don't want to be seen as difficult. Right. Right. Because we're the minority in the workforce. The majority of my career, I've been the only black person on the team or one of two or three at max. Right. So we don't want to seem difficult. Right. And so this notion of you've done really well for a black person has followed me. And it's so painful to watch people that I know. I I know for a fact I I could run circles around them. Uh just get promoted so much quicker. Every time I would be promoted, I'd been doing that job at that level for at least a year, but I was okay with it because, you know, I don't have the luxury to be like, Oh, promote me, promote me because I think I deserve it. I was always taking the mind frame that my promotion would be unrefutable because the data points would be insurmountably towards the fact that I had been doing that job at that level, which technically means I was mostly being promoted maybe slower than my peers sometimes, mm-hmm. right? But then I, I didn't have that luxury to push or that sponsorship for, for people to push for me. So the data had to, to be irrefutable mm-hmm. so that in those rooms where the, the decisions were being made, it, it was more like, dude, he's been doing the job. So mm-hmm. 
we got to give it to her, man. She's like rock star status because I've been doing the job and not complaining, mm -hmm. right? Like while my peers would be having conversations with me going, I can't believe they haven't promoted me. And I'm sitting there going, you just got here <laughs> like yesterday. You like, you're doing your job. You get a paycheck. I don't understand why you're complaining. Mm -hmm. Like you would, you, so many of my white friends are like, oh my God, I need to be promoted already. I'm like, but you just got promoted last year. Yeah. Like, do you not understand the concept of promotion? Yeah. And that, you know, and I'm looking at myself going, must be nice. Mm -hmm. Must be nice to ask for something, regardless of whether you've demonstrated the, you know, competency to get it. Mm. I don't have that luxury, Jamie. I n never in my mind would I say to myself, oh, yeah, just go for it and see what happens. Yeah. No. Rocking the boat. No, because I'm w one black person. It's very easy to be like, yeah, you're very difficult. Sorry, we're going to have to let you go. It's very easy. I'm, I'm in the minority of a minority. And, you know, starting from MIT, having to prove myself, it's just exhausting because yeah. you have to consistently prove that you deserve to be here. Right. Right. So when, when you as a white person don't have to prove that you deserve to be here, you can shift that energy to do other things, mm -hmm. to fight more for more promos. Whereas I'm consistently trying to ensure that they know I deserve to be here. And then with the extra energy, do my day job and do it better than anyone else mm -hmm. so that it's irrefutable that I deserve to be here. And then with God knows what extra energy starts to strategize about like my career trajectory. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Um, and if I'm blessed, cause I am, God loves me, <laughs> figure out where I can find sponsorship to open doors yeah. to help me, to help me progress, you know? So that's, that's, that's my reality. Yeah. You know, I'm not complaining. Don't get me wrong because I was, I, there has been no other version of it. Mm -hmm. It isn't like I, I've known a, oh, yay, I was black and it was like the best thing since sliced bread. Yay, yeah. <laughs> look at all these privileges. No, I've never known anything else. So it's, it's to me, it's normal. Right, right. This is it. And so to me, I look at it with gratitude and I go, wow, despite all of this, look how well I'm doing. Yeah. Despite all of this unconscious bias of being a black Okay, double whammy. I'm black and I'm a woman. Woohoo! It's it's like it's like yes, you're gonna really understand all of it. Let's let's add colorism. Let's add sexism. Let's add racism. Just put it all in there. Yeah. You're really gonna get the full experience of what it means to be at the bottom of the food chain. Go in there, Uche. Enjoy. Mm -hmm. You know that that that's that's what it is. And so on the on the flip side. If you succeed with all of these, the, the fruits of your labor are just so sweet, mm -hmm. right? Because I, when I do well, I don't really care what anyone else is saying. You can't take away that joy because I know what, what I have to do to excel, mm -hmm. right? And so I do, I'm not working for anyone. I'm, I, I work and the things I do are to make sure I can sleep well at night and that I'm proud of myself and that my parents they see the fruits and the sweat of their labor to put me through the best schools they could afford. That's what I'm working for. Mm. And so, you know, you talked about all these challenges, all these obstacles that you had to go through as someone who, who, who grew up also in London, and then you went to MIT and now you work at Microsoft. So like, how does that differ from maybe just your everyday normal person, everyday normal black person, like man or woman who, who didn't go to MIT, who didn't go to Microsoft, like 
what would that look like for them? Like what would those obstacles look like? And I mean, let's talk about privilege. Let's compare it. Because I got to go to MIT, because I'm in institutions like Microsoft, I am extremely privileged mm-hmm. compared to some of my black brothers and sisters. Do not make that mistake. Mm-hmm. I am extremely lucky that I did not grow up in America through the formative years of the age of six to, to like 14 and get indoctrinated that black equals poor and less educated and inferior and all the subliminal crazy messages that are, that are in America now, still happening now. We're just waking up to them now. Mm-hmm. So if at my level I have all these problems that I still have to deal with, with all of my education and economic status, you cannot begin to imagine the plight of the average black person in America. 61% of the African-American community in America are poor. Mm. That means the majority of the African-Americans here are in poverty. This is no joke. The, The black community does not have wealth. And in America, the currency that moves anything is money. Mm -hmm. So because I have money and I have the education, you know, in my, in, you know, in my, in my mind, I have to spend times doing things I can to make it better for the black community and people of color in general, because there are so few of us. Mm. So it's like, I have my day job I have my my biases to overcome and then the pressure to be a role model mm. and to con- to give back because there's so few of us. Look at Oprah, look at like Tyler Perry. If I'm feeling pressure, look at what they they must be feeling because you know, it's it's a painful thing to look at, man. That you go through slavery, you work for free, you get treated less than a human. They tell you you're free, but not really. They just reinvent the systems of oppression. Mm -hmm. There's no reparations. There's no support. It's a constant uphill battle. Some of us, you know, decide to build wealth. They blow that ish up, because I can't swear on this channel. Mm -hmm. Tulsa, other Oakwood. Like, you know, it's like, come on, man. Yeah. Why are people surprised that the black community is, you know, not doing well. They don't have wealth. They don't have good schools. They don't have health care. COVID is killing majority people of color. Like, I don't need to tell you this. It's, it's there. It's super easy. Go look on your news. Mm. Yeah. The majority of people that look like me are not doing well at all. Mm. And up until COVID and George Floyd, the responsibility was on the necks of the few black people that do manage to get out. Meanwhile, those same black people also have their own families and also to stay out the things that they have to succumb on a day by day. So if you if you think about it, it, it's uh, I got to tell you, the last few weeks, I'm exhausted. Mm -hmm. I sleep, but I'm still tired because if to think about it is is painful. And up until now, you didn't have time. You didn't have time to think about it. You just were doing Mm -hmm. You did, you're doing because you don't have time, right? Yeah. So it's it's not a good condition, man. It's not a good condition. It's look, Germany did the Holocaust, they atoned, man. America, we really need to atone. This the things that happened, the things that America did in the foundation of this country is is 
is not good. And I believe in karma. Like, there will always be consequences. It may come five or six hundred years later, but it will always come. You have to atone to move forward. You have to make amends to move forward. Mm -hmm. That's, I hope and pray, what we are starting now. Yeah. Yeah. Well, thank you so much for speaking to me about this, even though it might be time. Oh, you're so welcome. Your perspective is so important. And it's, I'm so happy that we're doing this. Yeah. No, it's good. The the uncomfortable conversations is stage one, right? Mm -hmm. Um, I've never seen this in the 20 years I've been here. As exhausting as it is, it's necessary, Mm -hmm. right? Uh, Change starts with you, right? And so becoming sensitized to what's going on was the first thing because a lot of people are unconscious. And so now people are are, are awakening. And for that, I'm grateful. I know that I'm a spiritual person. (laughs) Make no mistake, uh, there's a lot of divine orchestration happening here. Um, and for that, I'm grateful. Yeah, yeah. Um, well, I want to be aware of our time as well. Um, I think we're about at 50 minutes right now. <laughs> I know that we're going to yeah. do 30 minutes. And so, but this conversation has been so awesome. So I, I guess I want to end with, um, you know, just, I guess, one one more last question for you. And that is exactly mm-hmm. What is one action step or piece of advice that you would like to give to us, the audience, in order to love our Black brothers and sisters better? You have to start with empathy. Mm -hmm. You know, to me, without understanding or doing the work to try and understand what it's like to be in your Black brothers and sisters' shoes, the inner change that needs to happen to to wake you up and synthesize you uh, doesn't happen at a profound level, mm-hmm. right? Because this work is, is a long, it's a long and arduous road. It took over 500 years to get here. Mm-hmm. It's not going to change in, in, in 24 hours. Yeah. Um, and so from an individual perspective, for any bias, you must wake up to the reality that their biases are real, acknowledge mm-hmm. it, and start to work on empathizing so that you, you're coming from a place of the heart. You're, you're really doing this. So, you know, even when the media is over and stuff, you're still motivated to do the work, mm-hmm. you know. And then compassion, right? When you have empathy, compassion meaning you add action to empathy. Now you're moving from a place of compassion. Now you're effecting change. Now you're creating that America that we've been saying we're living, but we have never lived. Mm. That's important. Mm-hmm. You, you have to acknowledge that this is real, confront your biases, but really spend time developing empathy. Yeah. yeah. It's important. And what are some of the questions that I guess we can ask ourselves in order to help us realize if we have bias? Because I think a lot of the times, like, yes, I totally agree. Like, empathy is so important, but we're not even taught you know, how to have empathy? Like, how do you, how do you attain for that? Like, what questions should we be asking ourselves? People of color, people who are white, people who are black, like, what, what questions should we be asking ourselves to see? What if it was you? It's a very simple question. Imagine what if this ish was happening to you? Simple. You have to, the human mind is, is in a fascinating place. We're one of the few creatures that can imagine Mm. We have imagination. That's a gift. So 
If you could imagine what it would be like to wake up and have to worry about how your hair looked like or worry about your tone and you're not appearing angry, what kind of energy drain that would be? If you had to imagine that just if a police came up to you, they would be threatened by you and they could kill you. If you spent some time imagining, you may somehow get to a place where you realize empathy. Mm -hmm. Use your imagination, right? Like when you watch a movie, you're imagining if... Oh, if Brad Pitt is on the screen, mm-hmm. you were that female that he's currently interacting yeah. with. Or you're imagining like, oh, if this scene in a movie, like where this person just won $10 billion, I wonder what I could do with all that money. Mm-hmm. Imagination is powerful. Yeah. You could, you could imagine your way into creating emotions of pain that you, 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 don't, you, you never realized was possible just using your imagination, Right. Imagine if George Floyd was you, if you watch that video and you have someone on your neck for eight minutes and 46 seconds and you are begging and no one is helping you. What would you do? Yeah. Well, yeah, that is, um, that is a heavy question for all of us. And thank you for that. I think that's really helpful to kind of put yourself in the other person's shoes as best as you can. And to really ask yourself, like, you know, this, this is impacting you. And if it's not, then, then we are privileged. And then what do we do with that privilege in order to help other people? Um, Bingo, Jamie, you just hit it on the nail. Yeah. You hit it on the nail. If you have the luxury to not have to empathize, you have the privilege. Therefore, you are in a great position to change it. Yeah. Well, thank you so much for for being on this podcast, for interviewing with me. I think we're going to end it on that note. Um, I am hopeful, even though with everything that's going on, I believe we are hopefully changing towards towards better. Correct. Um, so let us hold on to that hope. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. You need hope. We all need the hope. <laughs> yes, exactly. Keeps us going. All right. Yeah. Thank you so much. Um, I Hopefully uh, this, this interview will impact people uh, in our audience and will inspire others to do, to, to do change and to use their privilege for Absolutely. the better. All right. Thank you so great. much. It was great talking to you. Yes, Take care, of Jim. course. All right, dear Younger Me listeners, thank you so much for tuning in today. I hope you learned something new. I will be posting links in the podcast description of where you can learn more about incarceration rates, poverty rates, and education opportunities in the United States. These links will provide facts that you can use to ask yourself, what does this say about the government and society that you're living in today? And if you're interested in this type of content, I hope you subscribe and tune in next time for more conversations like these. I'll see you next time. Bye.